There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. It's Monday, April 25th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Learn how Steamfitters can benefit your business at steamfitters-602.org. Here are the stories we're working on today. Investigators are still piecing together what led a D.C. man to shoot seemingly randomly at people outside of school from the window of his Van Ness apartment on Friday, shutting down that part of Northwest D.C. for hours. WTOP's Luke Lukert spoke to the police chief about the investigation into the suspect. He was editing the Edmund Burke School's Wikipedia page as he was shooting it. And on Sunday, opposing protesters faced off in Maryland at the Chevy Chase Public Library. At issue is whether to add in affordable housing to the wealthy neighborhood's library. We are Ellison Chevy Chase when we break down the east-west highway divide. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. Four people, including a 12-year-old girl, are still recovering after being shot as they walked down Connecticut Avenue on Friday. D.C. police say multiple 911 calls came in reporting shots, but no one knew where they were coming from. Hours later, police found the suspect dead in his high-rise apartment with a sniper set up in his bedroom. Police say hundreds of shots were fired from this high-rise apartment, so it's amazing more people were not hurt. WTOP's Luke Lukert is here. He spoke with D.C. Police Chief Robert Conti about the investigation so far, and Luke, I mean, we were here on Friday when this was happening, like middle of the afternoon, 3.30 or so. It was terrifying. It was a few hours where police say Raymond Spencer just started shooting, hitting four people in front of the Edmund Burke School. Did this appear that it was planned or like do they have any idea so far what the motive might be? So it, there, there are some indications that this was well planned out. Um, as we've been reporting, he's from Fairfax County as a residence in Fairfax County, but he started renting this apartment in January. Now, they're not sure that this was the reason for renting that apartment, but it is a little suspicious that he just started renting a second apartment yeah. in the city so close to Fairfax County um, that was right up next to the Edmund Burke School. But as of right now, D.C. Uh, Police Chief Robert Conti just kept saying that they don't have a connection between Raymond Spencer and the Edmund Burke School. They have no idea why he targeted the school or even if he targeted a school. He wasn't even comfortable saying that mm. he was targeting that school. Mm. And the suspect, 23-year-old Raymond Spencer, he's dead from an apparent suicide inside that apartment. Did D.C. police say whether they had any run-ins with Spencer at all or did they know about him? Was he on their radar at all? Not at all. As far as uh, Chief Conti knew, had no criminal history whatsoever, no run-ins with police, and zero history, documented history, of mental illness. We know that our um, suspect, uh, that he has been estranged from his family uh, for some time. Now we're really trying to find out exactly why uh, why that is. Mm-hmm. But other than that, uh, no clear, he was not on the radar. Definitely not. And this type of crime, and when we talk about a sniper, I mean, even that word in D.C., it just, it's personal. I mean, that's just the way to to say it. It harkens back to the Beltway shooter, uh, the D.C. sniper, who used a sniper-type setup to shoot randomly. 
Of course, that went on for longer. More people were hurt and killed. But many times these crimes we see come from like copycatting, right? Um, the shooter maybe has motivation from other crimes. We've seen that in school shootings as well. Did Conti speak at all about, you know, was there any reference to other crimes that they found in his apartment? No, they they didn't find any references to other crimes. Again, very little uh, indication of why he did this. Yeah. They no really notes. cannot find the motive. He did not mention any notes as of right now, but he did say that often shooters like this will leave some type of note. And the word he specifically used was manifesto. And so they are combing through his online habits and his uh, hard drives on his computers to see if there's any sort of note, manifesto, anything that might give an indication of why he did this. Mm. And on the day of the shooting, you know, Megan and I helped out on reporting on the story. And we found that, you know, Spencer had posted on 4chan the day of the shooting. And he was actually found, you know, just posting during the shooting and, and kind of giving updates and even posting a video. Did the chief say anything about how they found Spencer on that day and if tracking him online helped them at all? They, they said that uh, absolutely that um, looking online is, is going to be very key for this investigation. Now, I'm not going to say that for sure that that was what led them to finding Spencer, but every indication uh, leads us to believe that's how they found him. But uh, they, they said they're going to be checking 4chan. As you said, he posted to Twitter uh, the reports out there that he was editing the Edmund Burke School's Wikipedia page mm-hmm. as he was shooting it, including a gunman was shooting up the school uh, an hour after it happened. He personally did that. Well, that that Don't is, uh, it, right? according but- to the Washington Post, a user on Wikipedia named Raymond Spencer added an entry for the Edmund Burke School about an hour after he initially started shooting, saying... A gunman shot up the school on April 22nd, 2022. He is still on the loose. Mm. So it's very clear that uh, online activity is going to play a big part of this investigation. There was also, I mean, during the shooting on 4chan, Luke found these multiple posts from this man named Raymond Spencer, who Mm -hmm. we didn't know at the time was the shooter, but everything was kind of lining up. And it said things like, quote, they're in the wrong part of the building right now searching XD. Another quote, waiting for police to catch up with me. Another quote, dear God, please forgive me. Um, And on the bio that has since been taken down, he says he's an AR-15 aficionado. I mean, I don't say this flippantly, but thank God he wasn't. Because it seems like there were more than 100 shots fired. More than 100 rounds. And only four people, thank goodness. I know that, I mean, people are hurt. This isn't a light thing. But thank God there weren't more people hurt. Absolutely. I mean, the police have said basically the exact same sentiment of, we're very lucky that more people were not shot, injured, killed. So, Luke, when we were referencing these people, what do we know about the victims who were shot? So one uh, was in his 50s. Uh, he is a retired police officer, oh. and he uh, often did security for uh, surrounding schools, including Edmund Burke. He was critically injured, stable condition. Uh, another woman was in her 30s, also critical condition, critical but stable condition, Uh, When I talked to uh, Chief Conti a little earlier today, he said they were not out of the woods yet, but, you know, thoughts and prayers are with them and they are uh, stable as of right now. Another victim was a uh, woman who was waiting in her car to pick somebody up. She was grazed in the shoulder. She declined medical treatment. Uh, Conti said that she basically got a bruise. Very lucky. And then an actual Edmund Burke student was shot. 
uh, sixth grade student, a 12-year-old girl. And she was shot in the arm, you said? And she was shot in the arm, yes. Okay. She, she was not critical condition. That's good. And did Chief Conti talk at all about the response to this shooting, just how that played out in the day of? Yeah, I mean, if, if you guys saw the pictures, just mobs of uh, SWAT, D.C. police, but also ATF, mm-hmm. FBI. and Homeland uh, Security. I, yep. I, I asked Conti why, you know, the, the response from all these different agencies. He said, you know, of course, this is the capital, so... This is, you know, under federal jurisdiction for a lot of cases, and they're still going to be partnering up with the ATF, FBI. He said ATF are going to be handling a lot of the ballistics because they're very uh, quick on that. And then FBI, just uh, especially a lot of the cyber elements of this, seeing what he was doing online, FBI is going to handle a lot of that. Mm. We know Spencer is from like the Wheaton area, grew up mm-hmm. around here. Um, do we know what he did for a living? So I did ask... Uh, police about that they have no uh information about okay his so it's not like he history. lived there to get on the metro to go to work or like whatever no um and and that was one of the things that uh chief conti brought up is they're they're trying to investigate because as, as you mentioned he had a uh, three ar-15 style rifles a uh what i believe was a glock handgun um and some of those scopes on those rifles he was saying were, were not cheap some of the weapons he purchased and some of the weapons he, he was able to, to self-manufacture or have someone to manufacture them for them for him. Um, so we are, again, you know, just kind of looking into that. These, uh, some, these weapons are pretty expensive weapons. And two apartments, one in Van Ness and one in Fairfax County, three weapons with uh, optics that are pretty expensive. Uh, how did he finance this? So they're, they're trying to figure that out as well. And there's also like an odd detail you learned today about Spencer and the break-in at the Peruvian ambassador's home last week. What was that? So this is is a weird occurrence. He told me that there was no connection between the two. But the girlfriend of the 19-year-old who was smashing up the Peruvian ambassador's home who was later killed by Secret Service, uh, his girlfriend was next-door neighbors to uh, the Van Ness sniper, uh, Ava Van Ness. And he did confirm that. He also said at this time he does not believe there's a connection between the two. Yeah, just, just a random a happenstance. Wild, especially during the same week. <sighs> well, there's definitely more here. And, I mean, usually we don't spend a lot of time, um, the press doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the shooter, right? I mean, because we don't necessarily want to glorify anything. Mm-hmm. And obviously this is just unimaginably brutal and evil. I mean, just shooting at a well, school. And I think most school shooters... We kind of know why they did it. They usually have a connection and to the school. They have a connection to the school, and often they will leave notes, manifestos that are readily available, you know, sometimes even pinned to their bodies. And that's not the case here. So I think that's what's so perplexing to police right now is the fact that they have no idea why he did this. Hopefully, we'll learn more in the future, and Luke will be on it for us. Luke, Luke, thanks for being here. Thank you guys. And after the break, we'll talk to Kate Ryan about an emerging fight over whether to build affordable housing in an unaffordable part of town. If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project, go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. You can trust the experience of its workforce, members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. For a partner you can trust who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. 
Team Fitters Local 602, changing lives. All agree, the public library on Connecticut Avenue in Chevy Chase, Maryland needs major repairs. It's what Montgomery County should do about it. That's the question. A cohort of community organizations want the library to be rebuilt with affordable housing added, while some area residents, where the median home price sits at $1.6 million, they're pushing back against the idea. The two groups faced off at the library on Sunday when the Coalition for Smarter Growth protested County Executive Mark Elrich's decision to simply rebuild the library without affordable housing. If not here, where? Where else in Chevy Chase? Where else in Chevy Chase will we break down the east-west highway divide? We turn now to WTOP's Kate Ryan, who can fill us in on kind of where things go from here. Kate, the location is really important here because... Obviously, you can't build affordable housing just anywhere. A unit's proximity to transit and services, that's, that's part of the consideration. How does this library's location sort of, you know, fare in these categories? According to people who support this plan, it's a perfect place in terms of provide housing in an area where it's critically short. All right. There is enough access to transit. There is enough access to schools that could support additional housing in this area. It's not like you're putting people in the middle of nowhere with no access to buses. Or here, for example, you have the purple line coming in. Mm -hmm. So they argue this will work. And if people do need cars, they'll be used for short trips. Right. And location matters here for a second reason. This library sits in one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in the D.C. region, right across from a country club, in fact. On Sunday, we saw some neighborhood residents push back against this idea of building affordable housing here. What is their argument? Is this opposition simply uh, just like not in my backyard kind of sentiment or are there some other real concerns here? Well, there are a number of issues at at play here uh, and a lot focuses on the library itself and the history of the library itself. Now, this is an old established area with people who have lived there 30 years, 50 years, for example, according to one letter writer to DGS, which is the government agency that said, hey, you guys have the opportunity to renovate your library. Here are your options. And this was a survey that was sent out in 2021. And the survey said you could have either library renovation or you could have a complete reconstruction of the library with additional housing. Mm. Now, it's really interesting. There was a survey and there were comment questions put out there. Now, again, under the renovation plan, You'd get the 16,000-foot library, just updated, nice new library, okay? Number two, you could get 20,000-square-foot library with a public-private partnership, including residential development. We all know how people react when they hear residential development next to their established homes. Mm -hmm. So that's, you already had some issues. But the, the survey was fascinating, So, again, this is the survey results in November of 2021. 38% said they want a library with housing. 62% said, just fix my library and update it. That's all I want. Um, Then there were comment cards sent out. And boy, do you see the support for housing shrink there. 87% of the people who commented said, I just want the library alone. Just 4% wanted redevelopment And 9% said, leave the whole thing alone. I just want my library to stay open. You don't need to fix it too much. Do a little here and there. I don't want anything to change. Exactly. Well, here's the thing. Again, when I mention the history of the library, I'm I'm struggling to find the dates in my head. 
But there had been renovations at the library, I want to say, in the 1990s or 2000s. Mm-hmm. And and residents said back then, uh, there were three years where I couldn't use my library. I had to drive to either Bethesda or somewhere else, and it was really inconvenient. So this is part of where it is. Now, the housing advocates are saying there's a lot of nimbyism here. These people do not want housing And if you listen to what was on social media, some of the comments that were overheard, there were definite racial overtones. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, that is third party. I did not cover that event. I was not there. But what you hear on social media is a a concern that, okay, there is there's a racial element here. So you've got things heating up right now. And at this Sunday protest at the library, it wasn't just, you know, residents and coalition members. County President Gabe Albornoz was there and you caught up with him. What did he say about this protest and, and what is the future of this idea? Council President Gabe Albornoz was there. What happened yesterday was this was more of a general concept. Uh, this was in principle something that a number of our community advocates are supportive of. And so am I and the rest of the council. But obviously, we need to make sure we're methodical and cautious in how we approach this and any project to make sure that we don't create more problems than we're trying to solve. And he did address questions. Again, from the crowd, you heard our cars. And he said, yes, cars, that's an issue we'll be talking about. But it's clear he understands there are concerns on both sides. Again, critically short housing stock that most young people can afford, that uh, teachers, firefighters, Police, people who work in your coffee shop, can they afford? Um, So there's a lot of discussion. Again, all just in the talking stages, but you can see we've set the table for a real tough controversy here. It's interesting. It's the whole kind of, you know, how do we move forward and make these very established neighborhoods still work for the people who work in those neighborhoods? Kate Ryan, thanks for being here with us. We appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, Kate. And before we go, I got to report to Megan that we got creamed at company softball this weekend. Oh, no. Yeah, it was fun, though. We had a really good time. WTOP came out to play. But I'm more of a pickleball guy myself. No, wait. You love pickleball. I love pickleball. You were telling me about this. Like, you play as much as you can. I like pickleball, too. I think it's it's hard to not like pickleball. Yeah, I think the best way to describe it is it's just a game full of fun. Like, you know, you have to (laughs) have some skill, but... Almost anyone can pick up a racket and really play, and it's not too exhausting. You can play for hours. And in the springtime, like right now, like this past weekend, wonderful, beautiful. Describe it, though. I think people don't really get what it is. Obviously, it has a silly name. Right. So it's a mix of tennis, ping pong, and badminton. Think about a smaller tennis court Uh and kind of a wiffle ball of a ball, a wooden or like composite racket, and then you just kind of play. And there are a couple weird rules, and the scoring's a little different, but that's pretty much the gist of it. I found it easier than tennis, even though I love tennis, if it was, you know, a little easier. You don't have to travel as far, and you kind of, it's a faster game. But you were mentioning the ball and the racket because it makes a very specific sound that is causing problems. Yeah, kind of like this. It's like a (laughs) pop, you know? It's like a wine cork, but a little sharper than that. And you're right. It's kind of a serious issue. There are a couple lawsuits, more than a couple, across the country People hate the sound, and there's so much of these sounds in a lot of these, you know, neighborhoods with tennis courts, and people are filing lawsuits to try to ban pickleball. That's happening all over the place. Oh, yeah, and and the sport is taking the country by storm. I mean, it's one of the fastest-growing sports in America right now. So we'll see how it plays out, and if you're all listening, if you (laughs) have this, uh, you know, playing out in your backyard, let us know. Playing out. Get it. Try. 
Hopefully not. Hopefully pickleball is not driving you crazy and you love it. (laughs) Like me. That does it for us today. Thanks for joining us for the DMV Download, sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. The show is produced by me, Luke Garrett. And me, Megan Cloherty. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab. And our music is brought to you by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance. You can find out more about the DMV Download and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com, and on the WTOP News app. Have a great night, everyone.